this is a great idea. You, as a free, beautiful, independent human being with inalienable rights, own yourself. As a result, you can do what you want with your own body and own the product of your labor. The implication is that it is morally wrong to initiate force against someone else or their property because to do so is to violate their rights. Therefore, all human interactions should be free of force, fraud, and coercion, and people should be free to exercise their rights, limited only by respect for the rights of others. When you learned don't hit and don't steal, it wasn't unless you work for the government. When you learned thou shalt not kill, it wasn't unless your dear leader gives you a gun and a uniform and a one-way ticket to the other side of the world. Government is force, an opinion with a gun. To be an anarchist and assume responsibility for yourself, I think this is a great idea. And there's a lot of people. But to be an anarchist and assume responsibility for yourself, I think this is a great idea. And there's a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of very close friends of mine who think political action's terrible. Be an anarchist. I think this is a great idea. Be an anarchist. This is a great idea.
to Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding. It's the 5th of July, so we get to celebrate the collective American hangover from the 4th of July this Wednesday. A day when you (coughs) celebrate your legal capability of watching large explosions in the sky, as long as you don't have post-military PTSD from the massive amount of illegal wars the U.S. conducts, both by ethical law and their own laws. And celebrate freedom by waving the flag of the country that is progressively legislating more and more of your freedom away. And inflating the currency more and more so that They make very sure that your children will live with the same level of freedom you claim to have. And even less than that. And to celebrate the U.S.'s independence. Because, wow, what better way to be ignorant of modern political economy than to say that the U.S. is independent just because we're not theoretically a property of Britain anymore. You know, everybody gets to play shocked when Trump makes anti-NATO statements and says that they haven't been pulling their weight. But... Nobody even looks into the fact that NATO is one of the biggest organizations to remove American independence. Along with the UN and all these other international statist gatherings. That's not the least to say, like, you know... It'd be good if America was independent. (laughs) You know, a smaller tax farm that isn't global is still a tax farm. But at least it wouldn't be a lie. (laughs) Every 4th of July, would it? Where you get together and Try to have a good time in a park somewhere watching explosions, symbolic of the explosions that went off during the Revolutionary War from mostly people that are interested in watching pretty colors and aren't really interested in the history of it at all. And if they were uh, there for the history or only interested in the glossed over good shit, that they feed to us in the school system, the Prussian-imported indoctrination system for children that says, hey, everything the U.S. government does is fine. 
And if you disagree, you're a bad kid. You don't stand for that pledge. The pledge that acts as a binding contract where nothing else can while you were a child, right? Oh yeah, you need a permission slip to go on a field trip because you can't understand how to say, I want to do that. But you know what you don't need a permission slip for? <coughs> Signing your undying loyalty to an international organization of thieves and murderers. You don't need a permission slip for that. You don't need a permission slip to say, I pledge allegiance forever to this piece of cloth that represents people that I've never met and don't fully understand. They'll shit that, they'll shit that shit out of your mouth in kindergarten. They'll be very proud that you memorized it so soon so that you can regurgitate it every morning as though it's your true mantra. I promise you, most kids that are so-called Christians pray more to that piece of cloth than they do to God. I promise fucking you. I promise. Because people who believe in the goodness of government, they have a God. They have government as their God. Government who can do no wrong. Government who can provide them with everything for free. Government who is a caregiver. Government who is a protector. Government who will never do any wrong. And when they will, just pray to them a little harder and vote every year for better representatives because those representatives sure represent you and your interests. They know you well enough to understand how to make legislation to run your fucking life, don't they? All the while they geoengineer the planet, encourage the corporate bullshit that leads to pushing green agendas and minimum wage and regulations that push jobs overseas. And whoops, they save money when they do that. So not like these businesses are pushing for these regulations and all of these things as shields for the fact that they want to fuck up the planet and exploit people unequivocally. And unstopped. And then, you know, you can't have those fucking click farms and those factories for shoes and textiles over there without a military presence to keep everything protected and in line, right? A military presence that patrols the streets and acts as the global police. You couldn't have mining operations for lithium. You couldn't have... <laughs> the current and still very corrupt diamond trade. You couldn't have oil, fucking oil money without that military presence. So you got to have the troops over there. And you couldn't have the troops over there 
that little kids who grew up thinking that, you know, they pledged allegiance to this great, fabulous fucking organization of protecting golden, gilded people who could never do wrong, and when they did, you could vote harder. And those kids grow up, and they couldn't have done it without those guidance counselors and recruiters coming on campus telling children that, hey, you know what you should do? You should uh, come and join this great career with huge advancement opportunities that have led many people to promising futures elsewhere and strengthened them and shown them the ways of discipline and reason and camaraderie and brotherhood and you get to shoot guns and bombs, right? Get to drop bombs and shoot guns as at the same time, ain't that cool shit? It's like Call of Duty. Come join and then be molded by us to do anything we tell you to so that we can drop you in regions that are beneficial to our corporate allies. And don't forget to pledge allegiance just like you did when you were kids when your legs are blown off and you can't even stand for the damn thing anymore. Salute your superiors. Get your purple heart and fuck off. Huh? Ain't America grand. Watch those explosions on the 4th of July. I'm sure that'll seal the wounds that are left by a VA that doesn't give a shit about the troops. <laughs> and then defend the flag of the people who do this shit. Because in, in, in the police force and the laws and all of that. Because without that, how could we have some fucking freedom up in this bitch? Ah, oh, man. The world is a fucking clusterfuck. Smashed in by chemicals that are dropped from planes and electromagnetic interference that they've been learning to subdue entire fucking towns with. And germ warfare they release in the fog and hallucinogens that they learn to manipulate people's psychology with. The world is fucking grand. Everything is fucking beautiful, isn't it? If it sounds like I'm speaking strangely, by the way, I bit my fucking tongue last night somehow, and I'm trying to speak without rubbing the tongue against my teeth too much. So I might sound a little bit restrained here. <clears throat> I'm still getting over that whole fucking illness thing, so my throat's still fucking swollen. Gargling saline like a fucking salmon. And all while reading about how a child... <laughs> is going to die because the government won't let him get private care. Yeah, this is the UK government, sure, but the thought that this doesn't this kind of thing doesn't happen everywhere is fucking totally untrue. So let me just read this to you off the Mises wire, which by the way, I do not talk about the Mises Institute enough. Go check them out. Check out their articles. They're good people. And 
no matter what the Southern Poverty Law Center wants to label them, they are the people that have led a ton of people to small or no government beliefs. And I am one of those people. Without the Mises Institute, I would not have had enough information to make an informed decision, and I probably would have stayed a small government whatever, or, you know, a neocon, because without the Mises Institute, there probably wouldn't have been as many fucking people talking about the kind of shit that made uh, the sorts of people I listen to anarchist. They're very good. Check them out. Ray of light in this dark fucking universe. But that doesn't mean that what they discuss is not bleak. Which, this is one of them. Mises Wire on the 29th of June, 2017. Written by Ryan McMakin. Government medicine. Court declares child should die rather than receive privately funded health care. In a government-controlled health care system, the state determines who can receive treatment and when. This has long been admitted. But what is less often discussed is that once a patient finds himself within a state-run health care facility, the state may deny him treatment, even if privately funded. This was recently illustrated when Charlie Gard, a small child suffering from mitochondrial depletion syndrome, was denied privately fund funded treatment planned by his parents. According to the BBC, Chris Gard and Connie Yates lost their final legal bid to take their son to the U.S. for treatment. Specialists at Great Ormond Street Hospital believe Charlie has no chance of survival. European court judges have now concluded it was most likely Charlie was being exposed to continued pain, suffering, and distress and undergoing experimental treatment with no prospects of success would offer no benefit. They said the application presented by the parents was inadmissible and said the court's decision was final. The court also considered that if it was appropriate to lift the interim measure, er, that it was appropriate to lift the interim measure, which would require doctors to continue providing life support treatment to Charlie. BBC Health correspondent Fergus Wall said it's likely Charlie's life support machine will be turned off within a few days following discussions between the hospital and his family. In other words, the court declared that the child should die rather than allow his parents to pursue privately funded medical care in the United States. Often when we see cases like this, it's a case of different family members arguing over treatment. This was the case in the Terry Schiavo case in which Schiavo was refused life saving medical care according to the wishes of one family member, but against the wishes of other family members. In the Charlie Gard case, both parents are in agreement in wishing to pursue the treatment in the U.S., but it appears that the state is acting on its own initiative here and demanding the child be left to die because some government-employed doctors, none of whom are related to the child, wish it. Nor do the parents seek continued you can to continue to use any of the hospital's tax-funded resources. They merely wish to pursue treatment elsewhere. The state says no. Justin Murray reported on the case in April at Mises.org and noticed, noted a major feature of the free market. Private charity kicked in wonderfully. Within a month of the denial and discovery of treatment, Charlie's parents m managed to raise the entire amount to pay for the treatment and trip to the U.S., 
In a normal world, this would have been the end of the story. Charlie would have gone to the U.S., received his treatment, and we would have discovered if his already dire situation could have been medicated or treatment failed. But the NHS, the British National Health Service, decided for whatever reason to interfere with this process. When Charlie's parents attempted to withdraw him for this treatment, Great Ormond Street, a children's hospital in Greater London, run by the NHS, rushed to the British High Court to block his parents from doing so. As government court systems are wont to do, they sided with themselves and denied the parents' wishes for further private treatment and gave an official court order that Charlie is to be removed from life support and left to die. This is a no-lose situation for Charlie and his family. If the treatment fails, the end result is the same and the parents can at least have closure that they tried everything possible. If the treatment is a success, he can live enough years to be able to learn what his parents look like, interact with them, and be able to experience some joy in life. One can wonder, cynically, if the court system ordered his death to avoid risking embarrassing the NHS should the treatment they denied actually work. Unlike the usual defect of public medical care, where resources are politically allocated, leading to critical shortages for perfectly preventable diseases such as the case of Laura Hiller in Canada, all while claiming that medical care in a free market would be provided on a cutthroat system that denies the poor care. Charlie's case shatters this self-proclaimed image. Here we have elements of the free market working as expected, but with the government actively and openly doing everything it can to interfere with it. The British NHS isn't alone in making war on experimental treatments either. The U.S. government, via the FDA, for years has blocked the use of various experimental treatments and technologies for extremely ill patients, who quite reasonably conclude they have little to lose from using potentially dangerous treatments. In a response, some states have even taken localized action, as in the case of Louisiana's right-to-try law. Provided the treatments are privately funded, state law guarantees residents may use experimental non-FDA-approved treatment under certain circumstances. Insurance companies are not required to cover said treatments. Obviously, this more tolerant and rational philosophy has escaped the NHS and British Parliament, where it is apparently believed that all children belong to this state, even when their treatment options are to be funded by private charity. Ain't that shit great? We got a case of a... a child that could die, but instead of admit the wrong doing that the fucking state-run hospital is probably engaged in, instead of admitting that something better is possibly on the horizon, they just say he's too far gone by a state decree and shunt him off to the baby factory. It's just so fucking frustrating. You know, so even when the U.S. is providing some freedom, it can't because of another government that it works with and is allied with. And like the Pope has weighed in, saying that he hopes essentially the 
British government will let the parents decide what's best for the kid. Donald Trump has said that he, uh, you know, he hopes that they can help the kid. And everybody's rallying around this, but I can almost guarantee you that no exceptions are going to be made for this kid. And that if they are, hey, you know what this could be? A nice, healthy distraction. Because whether intentional or not, somebody could benefit from this being the story instead of, like, their latest corruption bullshit. So fucking frustrating. And, you know, the U.S., we have marijuana refugees still. Because marijuana is a Schedule 1 fucking drug. Schedule 1! Among the most addictive, dangerous substances that the U.S. government claims exists. On the record. Not allegedly. And those marijuana refugees, they have to go find a state where it's slightly more legal to have marijuana in their system or to possess marijuana on their person. But it's still not federally legal. So guess what? The federal government can still raid their fucking house. They don't even need really a good reason for it. Like they think that they're trafficking something. They could make some bullshit up. But by all means, you know, celebrate your fucking freedom. The freedom the U.S. government gives you because apparently that freedom's good enough. Righto. Watch those explosions. But you set anything off like that in your yard, you will go to fucking jail in most states. You ask me, the 4th of July is a waste of perfectly good gunpowder that could be used against the fucking statist bastards that take away our freedom. But now, we get our catharsis, we get to watch the boom boom. So I stayed indoors, like I do. It's my ritual to barely be able to see the glow through my curtains. And I didn't actually have any worse time than I would have finding somebody that I know to go watch explosions with in a park. You know, because then people are all like, well, the 4th of July is about community. You know, you get together, you have a fucking barbecue. Pop a few beers. But you can't do that on, on, on the regular, right? Oh, no, I do that all the time. Oh, so it's really just another excuse to get drunk. Gotcha. I see it. I see you. And the Free Thought Project put out a good piece on this. 
war, prison, spying, celebrating freedom on the 4th of July is now purely symbolic. As Americans blindly celebrate their freedom, they ignore the major areas that government has taken away some of their most valuable liberties. Every year on July 4th, uh, written by Rachel Blevins, Every year on July 4th, Americans celebrate their freedom on Independence Day, the anniversary of the day the Founding Fathers signed the Declaration of Independence and established the United States as an independent nation in 1776. As Americans prepare to commemorate Independence Day in 2017, gathering together with friends and family to eat, drink, and watch elaborate fireworks displays, They are blindly celebrating a false sense of freedom based on a list of liberties that are far from the current practices of the U.S. government. Heading reads, Endless Taxes. When schoolchildren in the U.S. learn about the Great American Revolution, they are taught about the important role taxes played in the decision to rebel against the British government. American colonists fought back against the unnecessary taxes and tariffs that seemed to increase by the year, and they took a stand against the heinous idea of taxation without representation. However, today, U.S. federal tax code is around 75,000 pages, so long that most of the politicians who have the authority to push for legal change to it have never actually read it. In fact, the Washington Examiner reported in April's 2016 that the current version of the federal tax code is more than 187 times longer than it was a century ago. Quote, Amazingly, in the first 26 years of the federal income tax, the tax code only grew from 400 to 504 pages. Even though President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal through President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal, the tax code was well under 1,000 pages. Changes during World War II made the length of the tax code balloon to 82,000 pages. Side note from me, hard to keep that war going that, you know, you deceived Americans into uh, if you don't have a massive tax code, isn't it? You know, or war bonds that you encourage everybody to buy. But side note over, continuing the quote, from the Washington Examiner, most of the growth in the tax code came in the past 30 years, growing from 26,300 pages in 1984 to nearly three times that length today. Mass incarceration. When school children in the U.S. are taught about history, they are taught about the abolishment of slavery in the 1860s, followed by the civil rights movement in the 1960s. They are taught that Americans finally learned how to appreciate all people regardless of race. However, they are not taught about the forms of modern-day slavery in which race and poverty play an important role. A study conducted by the Brennan Center of Justice at NYU School of Law in 2016 found that nearly 40% of the U.S. prison population, around 576,000 people, are behind bars with no compelling public safety reason. More than 25% of prisoners, 364,000 people, are serving prison sentences for nonviolent offenses. Mass surveillance, the peaceful transition of power, is known as one of the cornerstones of American policies. And issues such as American surveillance appear to transcend party lines. From President Bush signing the Patriot Act to President Obama signing the USA Freedom Act, 
Americans have seen an ongoing loss of privacy rights in the 21st century. While President Trump has openly praised government surveillance, he wouldn't have his current ability to spy on innocent Americans if it wasn't for the actions of his predecessor, predecessors. Just days before he left office, Obama signed an executive order that gave the NSA the authority to share the raw streams of the communications it intercepts from Americans directly with government agencies such as the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. Endless war. When British colonists arrived on American soil, they acted as if they were the first to ever discover the land and appeared to have very little regard for the Native American people who were already inhabitants. The only, quote, war that was waged was for the land the American colonists chose to claim as their own. In many ways, that practice is still carried out today. Concept of endless war is one that has been passed from one administration to the next in the U.S., with each new president adding to and intensifying the current ongoing conflicts. Instead of pursuing a conflict because the opposing country directly attacked the U.S., the true strategy revolves around what the U.S. can stand to gain from the country's natural resources, along with the factor of whether that country recently dropped the U.S. dollar. While Donald Trump ran on a policy of not invading other countries, his sentiment quickly changed once he became the lead puppet for the military-industrial complex. As U.S. founding fa father Benjamin Franklin once said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Side note from me, and will get neither, is the finish to that quote. In 2017, the current status of the United States is one in which, when it comes to the areas of taxes, war, and the police and the surveillance state, the American public seems to have no regard for the police state they willingly submit to, all the while openly celebrating their freedom. I think that puts that fairly nicely, don't you? This is where we are. And what's great about all of this is that for the most part, most people aren't going to do jack fucking shit about it. Most people aren't even going to try to figure any of this shit out. Most people, if they do hear anything about it, they're going to shut their ears. Because it sucks to listen to this sort of thing. It's much easier to just shout move to Somalia. Which by the way is my latest t-shirt. If you guys want to check out Jeremiah Harding's money hole on Teespring. Than it is to actually have a well reasoned response for why the fuck is it this way? Oh, but we have to stop Muslims. They're going to come over here and blow us all up. Right. I don't think it was Muslims 
that threw a gas grenade into a baby's crib, permanently disfiguring it. I don't think it was Muslims that fired a rubber bullet into a man's face at very close range, shattering most of it. I don't think it was Muslims who unleashed dogs and flashbang grenades and a hail of bullets on somebody who was ostensibly just camping. I don't think it was Muslims who choked a man to death while he screamed, I can't breathe with what little breath he had left in his lungs. I don't think... I don't think it's Muslims who f opened fire on a man who told, who told them he, he had a gun and was not reaching for that but his wallet and killed him without any consequences. I don't think it was Muslims who can raid any house they want with no consequences. I don't think it was Muslims who beat a man to death while he screamed for his mother and father. I don't think it was Muslims who have had the longest record of taser-related deaths. I don't think it's Muslims who have any fucking authority on our home turf because I don't think it's Muslims who have proven themselves to be more dangerous than any other group to our freedoms, to our lives here at home. I think people trust the government to stop terrorism when they don't realize that the fucking government is terrorism. It's goddamn terrorism to have a force of people on hand at all times that can constantly fuck you up with impunity. And if they can't at the moment, hey, they can just get a fucking law passed to get it done in the end game anyway. But no, let's talk about Muslims. Let's talk about a travel ban. Instead of disarming the cops, which if you didn't get my little sarcastic references earlier, I was talking about the cops who are more dangerous than Muslims by a goddamn long shot and more dangerous than specifically terrorists by a margin distinct enough to be very visible at a distance. We had a nightclub shooting. We had a bombing at a marathon. We had a military base. And we had two, bu three buildings. And one military installation, essentially. Political military installation. Hit by Islamic terrorists in the past... 15 years. And most Americans will still clamor for safety from these Muslims believing some bullshit culture war where it seems like the migrants are just flooding in and killing people. Well, you know what would be great if the same people that opposed these migrant floods were also opposed to the politicians that created the hellholes that they're fleeing from, some of them, not all of them admittedly. Some of them are just taking advantage of the system. 
and also uh, oppose the politicians that are creating the uh, migrant flood by essentially enabling them with policy so that they can seem more tolerant and open while they pad their bottom lines and encourage their political sponsors and keep the system the same way it always goddamn was. It'd be nice if they opposed them. But instead, it's really low-hanging fruit fucking easy to oppose the Muslim migrants because they're gonna blow me up. Well, shit. I can see where you're coming from now. They're going to blow you up. They're a direct threat to you. They're a direct threat to you and yours, and there's nothing we can do about it, but fight that good fight. Shout 1488 at the top of our lungs, and uh, I guess unironically see Kyle to the president gas man. And, you know, then people are fighting each other rather than the politicians, even their fellow citizens. Democrats and communists have no place in our social order. Commies ain't even people, are they? Oh, everything I don't like is triggering and part of the white supremacist heterocapitalist patriarchy. And I'm triggered, and I want to punch a Nazi. But, but everybody's a Nazi, so I guess I'll just punch everybody. Or, because I'm too out of shape to do that because of body positivity, I guess I'll just fucking get a law passed or something. And this bullshit war that we're fighting amongst each other could be energy spent maintaining and reclaiming our freedom so that we have something to celebrate on the 4th. But fucking no, that's fucking hard, isn't it? Too hard to be consistent. Too hard to be well-reasoned. Too hard to be civil. Too hard to look at the person next to you as a neighbor and not as a fucking gang stalker or a, a Nazi or an Antifa scum or whatever the new slur for the person that you should be aligning with to fight the motherfuckers that are actually the fucking problem. Shit ain't a game. And if it were a game, we'd be fucking losing. We have no footing in any culture war. And if we did, we shouldn't be fighting the culture war against the people next door. We should be taking the fight down the street to wherever these motherfucking psychophants in fucking politics hide, and we should be rousting them out, 
and we should take back this country and the world from the parasites in suits that have drained it dry of resources and then blamed austerity measures and wars and famine and global poverty and pollution and all of this shit on us instead of them. Huh? Maybe we should do something about that? Real fucking easy to just say no, ain't it? Real fucking easy to just say no. Nope. I don't give a shit. About politics, about any of this. I'm just gonna live my life until something affects me. Everything affects you! I'm just gonna vote where my family... Family's always voted. Family voted Republican? Vote Republican. Family votes Democrat? I'll vote Democrat. Right? Fucking no reason behind what you have to say, but... Let's keep going on it anyway. I tell you, with no hint of irony, non-voters are the least apathetic people I've spoken to, with very few exceptions. But voters, they can be some of the most apathetic motherfuckers because they think that ticking that box every once in a while is going to change shit for the better. And then the rest of the time, they don't give a shit. Not enough, not enough of a shit to actually change anything. Not enough of a shit to step out of the corporate fucking jerk-off box every once in a while. Not enough to do anything about their lives that's going to change it in, in such a dramatic shift of a way that the politicians and the ruling class would fucking feel it for once. Those people are the fucking apathets. Those people are the ones who have no drive for the, for, for the movement of their choice. They, they don't care about being a Republican. They don't care about being a Democrat. Even when they claim they care, it's only so that they can back their candidate once a year because most people aren't involved in local politics and they'll just go along to get along and say, ah, shit, when something happens. Not to say that voting would even work because, first off, Let's say it's totally representative of the, of the voters and everybody goes out and votes. Well, what about the people who voted? No, they still get that shit shoved down their throat no matter what. Because democracy is fucking mob rule. It's not reason. It's just we said something and we're a bigger group. So fucking hide that fucking head of yours. The Fifth Column News put out a good piece. How to Make People Respect the Flag. Written by Justin King. Shout out to Justin. He does a lot of really fucking good work. No matter what conspiracy theories surround him. And it's How to Make People Respect the Flag. It's the 4th of July. The most American of days. If you left your home today or scrolled through your social media accounts you undoubtedly saw disrespect toward the American flag it isn't a new expression of speech but it is certainly more widespread today than in years past 
So the question arises, how can you make people respect the flag? First, let's look at what the flag represents. Is it possible that those showing disrespect to the flag just need to be educated about the symbolism? Well, in a book about the flag published by the House of Representatives, it says in relevant part, the star is a symbol of the heavens and the divine goal to which man has aspired from time immemorial. The stripe is symbolic of the rays of light emanating from the sun. The flag's colors had no specific symbolism or meaning when the flag was adopted in 1777. However, the Great Seal of the U.S. did have meanings for those same colors. The colors of the pales, the vertical stripes, and those used in the flag of the United States of America. White sim signifies purity and innocence, red hardiness and valor, and blue the color of the chief. The broad band above the stripe signifies vigilance, perseverance, and justice. So there we have it. Purity, innocence, hardiness, valor, vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Do the actions committed under the flag today match the symbolism? Does a pure country run torture camps or turn a blind eye when its allies do? Does an innocent nation intentionally foster a civil war in which millions of civilians are killed or displaced for political and economic gain? Does a hardy country turn away those seeking help because it is too difficult? Does a valorous nation conduct a drone strike program in which 90% of those killed are collateral damage? Do vigilant citizens let the government run amok or should they monitor government overreach the way the founding fathers intended? Does a country display the perseverance to forge ahead through danger and terror or does it let the fear generated by a tiny minority of extremists control its foreign policy? Is there true justice when the nation has the largest inmate population on the planet and law enforcement kills an unarmed person 10% of the time they kill someone? It's hard to face the horrid truth. Vast quantities of Americans no longer respect the American flag because the ideas it is meant to symbolize are lost. If you started reading this in hopes of restoring respect for the flag, it's probably your fault. Blind respect for the flag accompanied by apathy as the things it represents are destroyed has rendered the flag meaningless. It's become nothing more than a sports team bumper sticker. It's something to show what side you're on and help you root for the home team while simultaneously betraying everything it was supposed to stand for. If you read the litany above and found a way to force it out of your mind, you are the problem. It's not the punk burning the flag, it's you, the person who claims to respect it while supporting the actions above. The college kid with the lighter may be destroying a physical flag, but you destroyed the idea of it. Which is worse, who's really un-American? Certainly in the comments section under wherever this article is posted, someone will mention those who fought, bled, and died for the flag. I know more combat veterans than most. None have ever told me they fought for the flag or apple pie. When the bullets started flying, they fought for their friends. Those who were really hardcore fought for the mission. It should also be noted that on the off chance that someone knows a person who truly did fight and die for a piece of cloth, recently a teenager died because he mistakenly believed he could beat a train to the crossing.
The point is, just because someone died for something they believed in doesn't make it true. Rather than address the injustice of this soldier dying due to, mis- due to a mistake, you'll attempt to politicize his death and allow more soldiers to die in the next war we shouldn't be involved in. When the flag was first hoisted, the country didn't live up to the symbolism. Genocide, slavery, and injustice followed it everywhere it went as the nation spread from sea to shining sea. Even with that start, the symbolism as outlined was a goal worth pursuing. It was worth the fight. Now when people ask for justice, the flag-waving American responds with the hashtag of Blue Lives Matter. When refugees flee U.S. US bombs falling on a country ripped apart by a civil war instigated by the U.S., the country shows no valor or hardiness. It shows fear and hatred. Your blind obedience to the state and the refusal to think about the symbolism of the flag disrespected it long before the first drop of gasoline touched it. You more than disrespected it. You killed it. The person who considers themselves a good American torch the meaning of the flag when they stopped questioning the government the way the Founding Fathers intended and when they stopped aspiring to the symbolism. If you want to restore respect for the American flag, it's very simple. Make it something worthy of respect and stop treating it like a pom-pom at a football game. So there's something to talk about over your hot dogs and beer today. I totally endorse that message. It's time to start standing up for those strong principles that the flag is theoretically supposed to represent. It is high fucking time. But we can't do that by entrusting the system. We can't do that by entrusting the system because we can't do that by entrusting the same people that have made the system the way it is now. We have to find alternatives. We have to smash the state. We have to destroy and dismantle the motherfuckers that would destroy and dismantle our liberty. We have to fight. We can't just sit by and watch as our freedoms are destroyed and then celebrate every year the freedoms that we used to have but don't anymore. You know what's great? When they so-called abolished slavery, the only thing they really did uh, was make it so that you couldn't force somebody to work unless they were working off crimes. And then there were so many laws that made so many people criminals, especially the black people that a lot of people still wanted to use as slaves, um, that effectively the criminals became the new slave class on chain gangs working for the man, working in mines, making our license plates. And somebody can be considered one of these fucking terrible criminals just from breathing the smoke of a plant or making some other choice that the government disagrees with. The response to this should be rage. The response to this should be anger. The response to this should be righteous indignation. But the response instead is every year to treat it like nothing's changed and we're just as free as we weren't in the beginning. Wake up, motherfuckers! Smell that tea party. It's time to stand up for the freedom we once had, and for the freedom we could have with no government, and smash this fucking system to the ground. 
this has been Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding signing the fuck out. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore!